Follow along in the series here in the book of Proverbs, looking at these, these three weeks that we're currently in, focusing on speech and what Proverbs calls us to in speech and the speech of the righteous person, how that flows forth as a fountain of life. As we go to this, two couple um, logistics as we start. First off is that the memory verse for this week, which is printed in your Proverbs booklet, actually ties in with the sermon for next week. And the second thing is that as we go through Proverbs, there are a lot of Um, we go through a lot of different verses each week as we're studying Proverbs. And so from that is that if you want a copy of the PowerPoint presentation um, that I'm about to go through, or you want a copy of the sermon discussion notes that our community groups are using, that if you want to use those in your own personal uh, devotions or also in your family devotions, if you go onto Cornerstone online and log in and you click on the groups tab, and if you click on the groups tab, one of the first groups that should pop up is all Cornerstone, which... All of Cornerstone is in that group. And after you do that, um, there is a Files tab. And when you click on the Files tab, you will find not only this week's PowerPoint presentation uploaded, but also the sermon discussion. And it's also the place that we post um, other, other, congregation, other congregational information. So um, if you're looking for these particular notes, that's where you'll find it. It's already up there. Um, please wait till after the sermon's over before downloading it. Thank you very much. All right. So Pro- Book of Proverbs. Um, a pastor gave a reflection which I shared the same experience. And it goes like this. He said, you know, if you consider the major, what we identify as major sins, adultery, murder, um, maybe a couple others, but those would probably be one of the, the first two that come into people's mind. We would say those are perceived as serious sins, and yet, And they certainly are. Yet, I have never seen an entire church melt down or fall apart because of adultery or because of murder. But you take a sin of something that we consider rather insignificant and little, such as gossip, and it destroys churches. And it destroys congregations. And how many does it take to split a church? It doesn't take half of a congregation to split a church. It takes two people. One, to spread fiery negativity, and two, someone else to not confront that behavior as a sin. So as we come to this passage of Scripture, these passages of Scripture here in Proverbs this week, remember that we are approaching these for us to grow in wisdom, acknowledging that wisdom is a skill, that wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. And the goal in going through these is that, yes, where there needs to be repentance, that it would bring repentance, but moreover, that it would hone your skill in godly living, that it would hone your ability to discern what to say, what not to say, what to listen to, what not to listen to, and to understand the power of your words. Again, that we would grow wise, that our speech would be a fountain of life, because tongue control is one of the major issues of the Christian life. So here last week, as we began to journey into this, what Proverbs says about our speech, one, know that the issues of speech extend not only to what we say, but also what we read and what we write and what we post on Facebook and what we send on our Twitter accounts and what we text to our friends. The the words of speech here extend to that whole realm as well. But we come to this here, and last week we looked at words of life, And the blessing that the words of the righteous, the blessing that words of life 
are to others who experience them and who hear this. This week, we are contrasting the words of life with what Proverbs says about words of death. And again, Proverbs speaks about words and speech more than it speaks about any other issue. And so, last week we began looking at words of life, that words of life are trustworthy, that we as people, the righteous, are people who are trustworthy with information. We saw two weeks ago that a friend is one who covers, who provides cover for their friends, who doesn't expose or embarrass their friends. But words of life are trustworthy, but words, but from words of gossip flow death. Proverbs 18. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Self-evident. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. I have to admit that there are several things in life that I love. Some of the things that I love are chocolate and butter and sugar, and really, if they could be mixed together in any proportion, I, I, I am good with that. And recently, Holly went shopping, and she went to the store, and she was getting some chocolate chips for chocolate chip cookies, and she happened to go shopping at BJ's, and she got that, that five or three, three five-pound bag of the Giera Deli dark chocolate morsels. Have you had these things? I mean, they are, they are scrumptious. But there is something that we love even more that is more delicious to us, more savory, and that is gossip. And what Proverbs here says is that gossip is like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of our souls. That gossip, what is that? It is passing on personal information about another person. Gossip is oftentimes confessing another person's sin. Gossip is Spreading, the spreading of intimate or personal information without their permission, usually of an unflattering nature. But gossip also extends, I mean, some of you have had the experience, maybe you had some great news. Maybe you got engaged or you, uh, you found out that you were pregnant or you had some great news and you told your best friend and you were so looking forward to telling other people about the great news of this new pregnancy, for example, and you go to tell everyone else and you find out that they already know. Because someone else has already taken your joy of sharing that information, gossip, the sharing and spreading of intimate and private information. And what Proverbs identifies here is that we love it. We love gossip because it is delicious to our corrupt hearts. And where the sin begins to take shape is in in being in the know and hearing of such tales, how we love the feeling of, of power, having the power of knowledge, having the secret information, possibly having a, a subtle blackmail in our relationships. How much we love the feeling that if there's somebody who is always seen as perfect, how much we love getting a, a juicy bit of gossip about them that says, you know what, they're not as good as they appear to be. Makes me feel that I'm a little bit better about myself, or at least maybe a little bit better about another person. And for the speaker of gossip, it's kind of funny how we perceive gossip and how we perceive the experience of it, because we perceive, for the speaker of gossip, it is perceived as some kind of need. Like, I've got to let this out. I I can't keep it in. I've I've got something that I've got to say. I can't keep this in. Well, why not? I mean, gossip isn't the stomach flu, that you can't keep in, right? As Americans, 
We're blessed to be in a country where we have freedom of speech and the right to free speech. And yet so many Americans and even so many Christians interpret that right to free speech as saying, well, if this is my right to say whatever I want, nobody can stop me. And so many confuse the distinction between what we can do and what we should do. But I think a little bit more closer to home for us is experientially, we often feel that if we're in a relationship with someone and we've got a piece of gossip, we've got a piece of gossip and we're discussing a situation, somebody maybe appropriately, is that there is a feeling within us that if I haven't given radical honesty, if I haven't given radical honesty, then it makes me feel that I'm not being a good friend. I'm not being authentic. I'm not being honest. And so we go down this road of radical honesty, which is telling every th- the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, plus my interpretation, my spin, and my assessment on the, mo- on the motivations of other people in it. But when we become Christians, we surrender that right. We surrender the right, in some senses, we surrender the right as Christians of freedom of speech to say what we want whenever we want it is that there is something that we are, our speech in our life is now brought under God's word and under his judgment, that the goal of life is not self-expression, but rather the goal of our speech becomes being one who is a speaker of life and not a speaker of death. And words of life are trustworthy, but words of gossip, from words of gossip flow death. Secondly, words of life are constructive, but from words of destruction flow death. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. The righteous, as we saw last week, speak words of life that are apt, that they fit the situation, they fit the occasion. Their words are constructive. They give grace to others. Their words build up. But the wicked, when you look at the second proverb on your screen, The mouth of the wicked speak what is perverse. You see, the wicked know what to say also. They know how to say the words that fit the occasion, but they speak them to bring about destruction. But destruction from our words doesn't just happen from words that are intentionally spoken, those sharp quips to send a zinger at somebody else. But destruction also results from careless words. Indeed, Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Whose rash words are like sword thrusts. We would say that someone's words, had, they, had, they had cutting remarks. We would say that someone has a, has a sharp tongue. And when we are speaking rash words, this is the picture that we need to be envisioning of ourselves of knives and razors and swords flying out of our mouths into the person at whom we we are speaking into them. The person for whom the wounds of our words remain long after our words have faded away. It's for this reason why Scripture so admonishes us that if you're in a quarrel, to end it quickly, to come back when you're self-controlled, because if you're in a knife fight, it only gets everybody bloody. Careless words. Is it really a big deal? I mean, we say things, I mean, if we say some careless words, we say, oh, it's not a big deal. I didn't really mean it. I, that's not what I thought. I didn't mean to say that. That's not really what I, what I meant by that. 
But let the word of God impress this upon you, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I think the idea that, oh, it's not a big deal, really doesn't hold water when you read what Jesus says. But so too, not only is it careless words, but also from destructive words. Words of strife, death flows. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Now there's a little formula here in this passage. The formula goes like this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discords among brothers. Now, periodically in scriptures, you come across this formula. There are six things that the Lord hates, no seven. There are three things that the Lord hates, no four. It's a formula that you see used, and particularly in some of the prophetic literature. When we see this formula, it's actually giving us insight into how to understand what's being said is that if it says there are six things that the Lord hates, no seven that are an abomination to him, it's the last one, the seventh one, that's the zinger. It's the seventh one that's the point of emphasis. And it's the seventh one, the last one, that should be used to reinterpret all the ones that precede it. So, here in this passage, Proverbs chapter 6, the seventh one is, the one who sows discord among his brothers. How does that interpret the preceding parts? Well, why are haughty eyes so wicked an abomination before the Lord? It's because haughty eyes sow discord among brothers. Why is it that a lying tongue is so such an abomination? It's because a lying tongue sows discord among brothers, strife and dissension among brothers. The other speech one, why is it that a false witness breathes out lies? Why is that so wicked? Because it sows discord among brothers and breathes out strife among brothers. Proverbs talks in many ways about the issues of strife and words that do so. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before, before the quarrel breaks out, referencing a dam there. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The issue with spreading strife And there's other Proverbs that talk about how one who spreads strife, his speech is like a scorching fire. That the words go out and they light the wildfire and the fire spreads and takes off and someone repeats it and the strife spreads further. And the reason why this is an issue, because strife at its root is either a refusal to forgive or a refusal to pursue reconciliation. And without without forgiveness and without the pursuit of reconciliation, it brings destruction and death. Words are life of constructive, but from words of destruction flow death. Finally, thirdly, words of life are honest, but from words of deception flow death. Three different categories of deceptive words here we'll look at this morning. The first is lying. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Notice the parallelism here in this proverb. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. What is the one that the Lord delights in? Those who act faithfully. Notice the parallelism with the verse before. How is it being contrasted? Saying lying lips are an abomination, but those who act faithfully are a delight. It's drawing the connection between our speech and our actions. That the things that we say should be matched by our speech. 
and one who is a liar is for one for whom their actions don't match the things that they say. Is that lying, is, it says here, is an abomination to God. It's repulsive. Jesus says that the, that the devil himself is the father of lies. And that when we lie, we are imitating him. But true words, honest words, bind us together. They make intimacy and trust possible. Whereas false words bring destruction in a false world. So too, not only lying, but the next category of deception is slander. And slander is spreading a false report about someone. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. And whoever utters slander is a fool. Notice the words of the ninth commandment in this next verse. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. The issue with slander is that it combines two other mouth sins together. Is that slander is gossip plus lying. It's not just that you're gossiping about them, but you're gossiping about them with false information. That equals slander. Third category of deceptive speech is flattery. And notice how, um, meditate on this proverb here for a moment. Proverbs chapter 26. Meditate on this first part. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works and a flattering mouth works ruin. Why is flattering so wicked? Because it is giving a falsehood to manipulate and to deceive someone else and the Lord says it is wicked. So the words of the righteous are the words of life are honest. Finally, the words of life, the words of the righteous are a fountain of life for the listener. That the words of life, as we speak words of life, it gives blessing to other people. It, it showers them with goodness. They are renewed and refreshed. But so too, words of death and wicked words go into the innermost parts and destroy other people and destroy other people's souls. So too, what that means for us is that the issue is not just simply speaking words of death, but that is half the problem. The other half of the problem is listening to it, is listening to people speak words of death. It's being, uh, giving an ear to unwholesome talk. You know, there are some of us who kind of like to hang back. Maybe you're not the first person to speak. You're not the first person to volunteer. You kind of hang back when there's a crowd going on. You kind of hang back, and, you, and you're one who just listens. And you just listen to the conversation that's being had. But we deceive ourselves when we think that a listener's not participating in what's being said. When we started this series, we looked at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, where the sage gives the advice. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. He's saying, if people are speaking, if sinners are giving you words to entice you to sin, don't listen to them. Don't give ear to them. And then when we looked at the gateways into the life of the, into the path of devious men and into the path of deadly women, for both the path of devious men and deadly women, the gateway into that was their speech. 
men who speak, men of perverted speech, and the adulteress with her smooth words. And Proverbs 17 ties it together, is that an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. We deceive ourselves to think that as listeners, we're not involved with, with what's going on. So, what does that mean? It means that if someone approaches you to vent words of death, to spew their guts upon you, you say, I don't want to be involved in this. It's not right to listen to this. The person that you're talking about is right over there. Let's, you and me, go over and talk to this person, and you tell them what you're telling me. How much safer would our churches and our workplaces and our homes and our friendships be if we didn't give ear to words of death. I imagine that right now, you are responding one of two ways to this series of Proverbs this morning. Is that you are either responding by saying, thank you so much. Now I know what to do. I have new insight and wisdom into the way that I should speak. Thank you so much. Now I need to go forward and do it. Get, you know, Lord, give me wisdom. Here I go. Or, you're hearing this and you're saying, what a fool I have been. I have been so stupid. My mouth, my whole life has been a life of throwing out razor blades and spears in every direction every time that I open my lips. I have pulverized my wife. I have emasculated my husband. I have shaped and wounded my children and scarred them, and I have taught them every day of their life that when they wake up, they need to be prepared for a knife fight. I've lost friends. What a fool I have been. How wicked I have been. That you are either on the front end of foolish, deadly words, or you're on the back end of foolish, deadly words, and you're experiencing the suffering and consequences as a result. And so recognizing that each one of us is either recovering from or about to go into saying foolish and deadly words, let us drink deeply from the fountain of life and draw our attention again to 1 Peter chapter 2 that we began looking at last week, is that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile, he did not speak back in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That Jesus, the only person who never spoke a selfish or self-indulgent word, who never opened his lips in the wrong way, who never had to stick his foot in his mouth, who never spoke when silence was better, and he himself bore our sins. Why? So that every damning thing that you have ever said, every razor that has flown out of your mouth, every lie and deceptive truth and insult and gossip and bragging and guilty promises and promises that have been broken and guilty silence when you have, should have spoken up so that the damning record of everything that you said or should have said, has been nailed to the cross so that dying on the cross, he took the punishment for what you and for what I deserve. He bore our sins on the tree, and by his wounds you have been healed. But let us remember that it's not simply the fact that Jesus Christ has taken the punishment that we have deserved on the cross, and that all, through, that all who trust in him 
would receive the forgiveness through him, but also through his death on the cross, through the perfect life that he lived, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. That Jesus in his death on the cross, he died, he rose from the grave, breaking not only taking the punishment, but breaking the power of sin so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. That through his work, the indwelling spirit comes to live in you and comes to dwell in you to give you a new power to live and to speak for him. That the spirit of God puts the word of God into our hearts to renew our hearts and give us new life and new words in our mouths. And so you are not left alone. You are not left by yourself to struggle and to wallow, but the Spirit of God renews you so that you would no longer speak death, but that you would speak words of life. So that through His Spirit, that your life and your speech would indeed be a fountain of life in your home, that your children and your spouse and your workplace and your neighbors and your friends are renewed and they experience the grace of God by the things that come out of your mouth. That the Holy Spirit is at work within you so that the picture of righteousness laid out in Proverbs would indeed become the portrait of your life. So that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his Spirit, that your words, yes, your words, would be words that give life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And Lord, with Isaiah, we say, Lord, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Father, it is all the more remarkable to consider the perfect life of Jesus, to consider his life, and that he never said anything wrong, ever that he always spoke what was true and right and good and loving. Always. Lord, that is astounding. That he was finite and human like me, tempted in every way, but his mouth never sinned. Lord, I thank you for the perfect life of Jesus Christ, which is my substitute. For he who took the punishment that I deserve, for he who being tempted to the utmost and not breaking has broken the power of sin that I would be resurrected so that I and my brothers and sisters here would be resurrected to new life. Lord, we ask for your spirit to work in us, to live out and to manifest the resurrected life in us. That we individually and as your people would be fountains of life joined together into a river of life into this community, into our homes, that people would come to know and know you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.